Gary Richmond was the former zookeeper of probably considered to be one of the most famous zoos in the world, the San Diego Zoo, but he wasn't just a zookeeper, he was a Christian, a strong Christian. I was reading his book called A View from the Zoo, which was someone involved um, with all these animals, but began to give some Christian perspective. Listen to what he said as he was talking to his friend named Julie, who found a wild animal as an infant. It was a baby raccoon. Different parts of the world, that animal may not be there, but here in the United States, a baby raccoon, and even in New York, they're here. Um, but if she found a baby raccoon and started to raise it up in her home. And Gary said to her, the zookeeper, he said, he told Julie, he said, raccoons go through a granular change about the 24th month, and they often attack their owners. And since a 30-pound raccoon can literally equal a 100-pound dog in a fight, he said, I'm compelled to mention to you, Julie, that what you see as an infant, a change is coming into your home. He said she listened politely, explained as he explained the coming danger, and then it was Gary who said these words. He said, I'll never forget her response. Listen to what Julie said. It will be different for me. Bandit would never hurt me. He just never would attack me. Three months later, Julie underwent a number of plastic surgery facial lacerations sustained with her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Gary Richmond said this. He said, sin is like that baby raccoon. He said, it often comes dressed in an adorable disguise, and often as we play with it in its infancy, it is easy for any one of us to say, it will be different for me. The Bible tells us that the result of sin is predictable. Predictable. You, can be you cannot befriend sin and think that you will not be harmed by it. Listen to what the great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said. He said, sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Let me just be real clear for everyone that's watching and listening today. I want you to know God's remedy. Listen to me close. God formed man. Sin deformed man. Education can only inform man, and religion, the best it can do is reform man, but only Jesus can transform man today. Only Jesus can do that. And I believe that God wants us to deal with this root issue today. God wants us to begin to go right to the very root. There is a world of difference, Times Square Church, between saying, I've made a mistake and I have sinned. There's a huge difference between those words. I've made a mistake and I have sinned. To say I've made a mistake removes ownership and responsibility. It makes the core issue that we're facing and fighting today, that, that issue of sin, it makes it accidental. When, you, when we don't start this journey with God with I have sinned, then what we do is we remove sin and when really sin is the root cause of what we're facing today. Most of our preaching today and most of our pulpits don't allow for us to see that sin becomes the issue, that we're part of a bad situation, that people begin to think that we are victims instead of the guilty. And that's the challenge that we face today. Folks, I just want to let you know, according to the Bible, Genesis 3, we're all part of what is called the fall of man. We're all included in this. We're not part of an accident. We're part 
of sin that has entered into this world. Genesis 3 is the day that man decided to listen to Satan instead of God. Genesis 4, which I want to cover today, is the day after man deciding he knows better than God. Genesis 4 has to be one of the most important verses, not just because you're dealing with the, the early stages of, of core issues, but it even begins to deal with us today. Genesis 4 is humanity starting or trying to live life without God. It's an epic. Man on his own without God. Man who decided I could make better decisions than God and whatever God speaks to me. It's the first chapter of human history without walking in fellowship with God. It's man trying to live his life without God. And based just on Genesis 4, can I just tell you this? Man can't even get out of that one chapter. It's already catastrophic. You know what happens in just Genesis 4? Think about this. Just in Genesis 4, their first day, there's jealousy, murder, revenge, polygamy, spousal abuse. And that's just chapter 4. Okay, let me give it to you just on the book of Genesis. You ready for this? It, let's, let's not even go into human history. Let's just take the book of Genesis and what has happened when man walked out on God in Genesis 3, decided in Genesis 4, I can do this without God. Let me give you an overview of what man did or the, catas the, the catastrophe of man's decision. Cain, that we'll read about today, is jealous of Abel and kills him. This is just Genesis now. Lamech introduces polygamy to the world. Noah, a righteous man, gets drunk, puts a curse on his grandson. Lot, when his home is surrounded by sodomites and who wants to violate these angelic visitors, introduces and gives them his daughters instead. Later on, his daughters get Lot drunk and impregnate him and Lot is considered to be the most righteous man in Sodom. Abraham plays favorites with his son Isaac and Ishmael. They become estranged. Isaac plays favorites with Jacob and Esau, and they're bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob plays favorites with Joseph and his other 11 brothers, and they sell him into slavery. Marriages become a disaster. Abraham has intercourse with his wife's servants and sends her son into the wilderness. Isaac and Rebekah fight over which boy will get the blessing. Jacob marries two wives, ends up with both of their maids as his concubines. Jacob's firstborn, Reuben, sleeps with his father's concubine. Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law when she disguises herself as a prostitute. She does this because she's childless since her first two husbands were so wicked that God has stepped in and killed him. I don't know about you, but this whole book needs a therapist in the book of Genesis. That's, that's just Genesis. We haven't even covered the other parts of the Bible. This is, this is man going, we can do it without God. Really? Really? The fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 was the event, but the repercussion of the fall is a phrase that I want to introduce you today, and it's called human depravity. What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? When man and sin came in, depravity means that every part of our being gets distorted and damaged by sin. Every part of us. Some at different levels, some to different degrees, but every part from our thoughts to our soul were damaged because of what sin has done. And you're going to see this on day one. Now, folks, look at me for just a second. Let me set this up. I want, I want to just tell you this. Those that are watching online, those in person. There's good news at the end of this. Just stay with me for a moment. But, 
But what happens is if we don't begin to properly assess the disease, then the cure becomes of no consequence to us. If we don't understand the depth of sin, then we don't begin to magnify what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And so I want to just take a few moments of speak about the day that comes after man deciding that he can do it without God, of man deciding that he doesn't have to walk in fellowship. Let me read it to you. This is the day after, Genesis 4. The Bible says, Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And the Bible says, now Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil, and in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked, the Bible says, with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face became downcast. It's very interesting that God then steps in when he sees the anger of Cain, that his offering wasn't accepted. And it's interesting to me because the Lord then said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face so downcast? You know what God was doing? God was speaking to Cain's anger before it would turn to murder. It's God, listen to me folks, it's God giving an exit ramp and God's going to begin to show the consequences in a, in, a, in a moment if he ignores the way out. It's God speaking to this man to say, you don't have to go. You don't have to go this route. You don't have to do this. It's God literally saying, I, I want to give you a way out of this. I want to step in and speak, speak life to you. Listen to what God says to him. This is God's conversation with him. He says, Cain, if you do what is right, he said, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, here's the part I want you to get. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. That was the, that was the warning shot from God. The word of God going forth saying, I know that your parents walked out on me, but you don't have to do what your parents did. Just listen to what I said. So the question is, does he take the exit ramp? Here's verse 8 after God speaks. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now folks, stay with me for a moment. Genesis 4-7 is the first time the planet hears the word sin. It's the first time this word is introduced to humanity. There's a, there is a phrase that we use when you study the Bible, and it's called the law of first use. It's when you see a word that's introduced for the first time. Holy, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is introduced for the first time in Genesis 1, invocation, in, in, in creation. When you go to Genesis chapter 22 with, with the sacrifice, with the, with the proposed sacrifice of, of, of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, the first time it's ever used, the word worship is ever used. And here is the first time that the word sin is, is ever used. And the Bible, this is a concept which says when you see a word used for the first time in the Bible, take note of it. See the importance of it because much of its definition is going to be built out from the first use of that word. At the very first time it's used, he said, find yourself going back to that. And the imagery, here's what I want you to get, folks. The imagery the Bible uses for sin is terrifying. 
This is what he says. Sin is crouching at the door. Think of that for just a moment. Genesis 4, 7. Sin is crouching at the door. What does that mean? Sin is crouching at the door. Here's what that, that we are introduced to. He says, sin is like bandit, the raccoon. It's like an animal in an attack position waiting to pounce on his victim at the sign of any open door. Look, 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 look at this again. He says, if you do well, he says, everything is going to go well. He says, but if you don't listen to what I'm saying, sin is crouching at a door. It's in this attack position, waiting to come in, waiting, just waiting for a crack in the door. And God was telling Cain, Cain, your anger is the crack in the door for the beast. It's your anger. He was referring to sin as a beast. Murder is waiting outside. Anger was the crack in the door. And what I want to talk to you about today, just for a few moments, is the beast at the door. That beast that is trying to find itself, to come in, looking for any crack it could find, to try to get in. Think of Cain's anger. Think of the crack that wants to come in not only to our lives, to come into our families, to come into our marriages, to come into our minds, to come into our countries that are represented both here and those that are watching online. Look for every crack to get in there. Here's what I've learned about those cracks of the door. Jot this down. First, unresolved sin doesn't go away over time, but it gets deeper rooted and intensely distorted. Let me say that again. Sin, unresolved sin, like Cain's anger, does not go away with time. It gets deeper rooted and intensely distorts. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, we have this strange illusion that time cancels sin. He said, time does nothing either to the fact or the guilt of sin. When sin is allowed to fester and to boil and to move, listen carefully. What happens is it morphs. It goes deep and it gets crazier. When sin is allowed to be there, it goes deep and it expands. Cindy and I, biblically speaking, have a rule that if ever there is something between us, we have made the decision that we would never go to sleep when there is an offense. Because we know what it's like to sleep with something in our hearts and to wake up and watch it even expand even worse than the original part. That, folks, I'm just telling you, we have made that decision. And there have been times we've been up till two and three in the morning trying to take care of it. And I'm telling you, by 3 a.m., I will repent of anything at that point. I will just go, it's me, it's me, it's sin, and it's me. In Jesus' name, can we go to bed? It's amazing what the wee hours of the night will do for repentance. It's, a, it's, it's incredible because when you don't deal with it, it gets rooted and it goes and it distorts. Let me say that again. It roots and distorts when it's unresolved. It's rooted and distorts when it becomes un, unresolved. They said that that word in verse 8 that we read that Cain killed Abel, don't miss this, is a term that was used. We see it as killed as the first murder in the Bible. But what's very interesting about that word, the word actually means sacrifice. Think of it. 
Think what just happened. It is almost as if Cain was saying to God, you want a sacrifice? Here it is. Here's my brother's blood. Talk about the arrogance. Talk about, talk about the pride that comes out of that. Sin crouching at the door, at your door, at my door, just as it did at Cain's. Folks, I'm just telling you this. When you think about Cain, very few murderers have awakened from what we saw happen in the subways just yesterday in New York City to the shootings that are happening all this year. Nobody woke up one day and decided to become a murderer. Something morphed and left unchecked in their hearts. When we moved up here from Louisiana, two months before we moved up here, there was a shooting in a movie theater in Lafayette, Louisiana. A number of people were shot and killed as a young man walked in. But the story that is not told is just three days before that man walked into the theater, he walked into the church that, that, that I was pastoring at. He walked into the place. I wasn't down there yet. The message was being preached. I just wonder if it was God giving him an exit ramp before he showed up in that movie theater. Folks, listen. There are some that are here that God's giving you an exit ramp today. God is speaking to you. Those that are watching online, those that are saying, God is speaking again to you. Why? Because that is the mercy and the grace of God to say that before you walk outside these doors, the Holy Spirit wants to begin to speak to you. I don't know how much time passed between verse 8 and verse 9 when God came and spoke to him the second time, but listen to verse 9 of Genesis 4. The Bible says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Cain responded, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen to your brother's blood cries out from the ground. God said, I saw it. I'm asking you if you will admit it. I'm asking you if you're going to respond with, I have sinned and not have made a mistake. I'm going to see if you can respond that I gave you an exit ramp and say, I need you to do well because sin is crouching at the door. There's a beast at the door, Cain. What God was telling him was this, you could have buried it in the ground all you want, but a secret sin on earth, I'm telling you, is an open scandal in heaven. It doesn't matter what you hide on this planet, God sees it. God knows it. God is there. Whatever you may hide on this earth is fully known to God. But here's the other thing I learned. When you are angry with God, you will be angry with people. Listen to me carefully. When you're angry with God, when this relationship is not right, you can't get these rights. I'm telling you, folks, if you're not doing well with God, all relationships get affected. Listen, for those that are single today, I want you to listen to me just for a moment. Do you understand why God speaks to not being married to someone that is not right with God? What he's telling us is this. When you stand at that altar and you put a ring on your face, there is not a marriage license or a ring. This is not like Lord of the Rings that all of a sudden they become changed in a moment. If they're not right this way, folks, marriage will never make them right. And you have to understand, God puts that, that, that careful, God puts that warning sign in there. He's trying to give us a principle. While you're battling loneliness, they're battling a relationship with God. God is trying to protect you from this. Because if you're not right with God, you'll find yourselves at odd with everyone else. Listen to 1 John 1.7. He says this, John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If I'm walking with God, then I get to have healthy relationships that are going this way. Because here's what happens. When we don't bring resolve, 
Sin deepens and distorts. Let me say that again. Remember, unresolved sin deepens and distorts. And if I'm angry with God like Cain, then I become angry with everybody else. Cain's issue wasn't simply Abel. Cain's issue was with God. And then here's what's crazy, folks. Or let me just say this. I, I use that word too much because some people even watching online, um, maybe that is the wrong word to use. Here is what is sobering. Sin moves at a dangerous speed. It moves. It, it, here's what's, what gets me, just for a moment. You might think, how do you go from Genesis 3 of not listening to God and you end up with murder in Genesis 4? Wouldn't you think there would be kind of this, this on-ramp? Maybe Adam and Eve's kids tell little fibs. Then when you get to Genesis 6, we have petty theft. And then when we get down to Abraham, we have extortion and racketeering maybe. We shouldn't have murder by chapter 4. But sin moves at dangerous speeds. That right after the first birth on earth comes the first murder on earth. How amazing is that? Because the beast at the door has no time frame, no concept of let's do this slowly, but always looking for that crack. And folks, that's why the beast is looking for an open door, not only in our lives, and I speak to those watching online and to our precious delegates that are here from the Bahamas today and for us as a nation. Satan is not just looking for cracks in lives, he's looking for cracks in nations to try to get in and to distort. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a disgrace to any people. It's a challenge to all of us. It's a challenge that's here for, for Ambassador Smith and for Council, Council General Major. When, when, when I grew up, let me just tell you how things get distorted. Just bear with me for a moment. Some of you old New Yorkers may remember this. I was born and raised on Long Island here. Can I tell you what you never did on Sunday? Here's what you never did on Sunday. You never shopped on Sunday because New York in the 70s and the 60s had a law called the Blue Law. I, if you didn't buy what you wanted to buy at Alexander's and Corvette's on Saturday, you weren't getting it on Sunday. All the stores were closed. It was a time-honored law to honor the Sabbath. Can you shop on Sundays now? Mm-hmm. Just, just think what happens, folks. It's crazy. So you think, I keep saying crazy. It's not crazy. Can, can you imagine introducing that law today in New York City? Hey, you go Chick-fil-A. I've got to, got, to, got to honor that on Sundays. But here's what happens. Satan continues his effort to make sin less offensive, heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. I'm telling you folks today that we have got to understand when the, all of a sudden Satan begins to make sin less offensive, I, I, I'm just going to say this, it's, it, it, let, let, it, let the chips fall with it. I just read an article that Christians are posting, and this is what they're saying even about the abortion issue. If you have sex and don't want the pregnancy, then it's a fetus. And if you have sex and want the pregnancy, then it's a child. Folks, you can't define what's in that womb. That's not yours to define. It's God's to define, according to Psalm 139. And I'm here to tell you, that's why, listen, listen, that's why Christian author Oz Guinness was right when he said, today, it's more wicked to judge evil than it is to do evil. 
Because when you call things out, all of a sudden you're the person that everybody's coming against. And I'm just telling you, this is, we can't do life without. We need God every single day. We need him. Here's what he says, and let me close with these three quick thoughts. The imagery of that beast is profound, and it's sobering 5,000 years later. The beast at the door describes our lives, describes our families, it describes our nation, that that beast, sin, crouches at the door. Listen to it again. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. I want to just give you three quick thoughts on this beast. I want to give you three quick thoughts that I want you to jot down that I want to challenge you with today, and then I want to give you the good news. Here we go. Because this is for those that are trying to hold on to the beast like Julie held on to that wild animal, thinking it will be different for me. But today I'm telling you there is going to be freedom in this place. There is going to be liberty in this place today. Here's what I've learned about this beast in my life. Number one, the beast is uncooperative. The beast is underestimated. And number three, the beast is untamable. Let me say that again. This is what I've learned about the beast. It is uncooperative. It is underestimated. And it is untamable. Number one, uncooperative. It doesn't care whether you're going to church or whether you're going to a club. It's looking for a crack. It's looking for an open door. I had an elder on our board in Detroit at our church. He and his wife were rescued from the streets in a life of drug addiction. When he got saved and went into Teen Challenge, the crack house said to him, you'll be back. That's what they told him. He was in leadership at our church. He was working in our ministry. And I'll never forget the day that I had to show up at a crack house to rescue this gentleman. I remember knocking on the door and a slide opening up right on the west side of Detroit. And I said, I know he's in there. Send him out. As I walked in there, he pulled out one of our leaders. And I looked at this gentleman. I said, what happened? How, how, how did all of a sudden you're on your way to ministry and you end up at a crack house? These are his words to me. And this has been 10 years of freedom. Remember, the beast is waiting for a crack. It's waiting just for a crack. Ten years, children, grandchildren, leading teams in the church. How do, you, how do you end up ten years later going back to that old thing? And this is what he said. He said, I walked out of my street on the west side of Detroit. He said, I was coming to Woodward Avenue waiting for the bus. And he said, and I knew if I went right, I was going to the church. And if I went left, I was going back to an old way of life. And he said, that day I chose left. That, that just that, that simple decision. I chose left. I decided to make a left turn that day after 10 years. Left turn. He was on his way to ministry, folks, and chose left. Nothing is off limits to that beast at the door. It's always waiting, 
Even if you're on your way to church, even if you're on your way to sing in a choir, to play in a band, if you're on your way to doing God's work, that beast is waiting. And I'm telling you, folks, that beast is uncooperative. It's not going, well, he's going to the church. We'll wait until it's, it's a better time. He will show up any single time. And that's why the Bible says we have to walk with a soberness every single day. We are in a war, a war. Number two, this beast is underestimated. I want you to listen to this. Very, very important. I'm going to tell you who scares me the most in the Bible. Samson. And these two verses about his leadership literally bring that soberness to me. We have a tendency sometimes to overestimate our strength and underestimate the beast. Listen to Judges 15, 20. Listen to it. I want you to see this. So he, Samson, judged Israel 20 years. Don't miss this. In the days of the Philistines. Next verse, 16, 1. Samson went to Gaza, saw a harlot, and went into her. Folks, leave, let's leave that on the screen for a second. Do you see what just happened? A 20-year judge went for a prostitute. Do you, look at the screen. Don't look at me. Look, just for a moment. You're serving for 20 years and the beast shows up. You know why? Because based on this passage, this is not some new Christian. This is a 20-year judge, which all of a sudden, which tells us that even his experience doesn't exempt him. You are never too old to be in the fights. You're never too old to put the, bat, the armor on of God. And the danger is his experience didn't exempt him, but made him a target. Or as one man said, small sins become great when they're regarded as small sins. That we have to see every one of those things as a beast that wants to come from our tongue to our mind to the things that come in. It's always a fight that they are. The beast is uncooperative. The beast is underestimated. And the beast, let me give you this final thing and then we get to the good news and we close. The beast is untamable. The word brother, you ready for this, is used six times in Genesis 4, 8 through 11 of the story. Let me just read it to you. Cain told his brother um, Abel, and it came about that they were in the field. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then he says, what have you done? The voice of your brother the fifth time is crying out to me. Verse 11, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive. Number six, your brother's blood. Isn't it amazing? You can't even, the beast can't even be tamed against family and your own brother. Six times God was trying to send a note and say, you can have the beast show up even against your family. And folks, if family is not a deterrent. There is not a program, a promise, a synagogue, a mosque, a church that can set you free. Folks, we better find out what can set us free today. Because if all of a sudden DNA and we have the same last name can't set us free, then I'm telling you, we need a miracle in this house. So get ready for this. The only match for the beast is the Lamb of God. The only match for the beast is the lamb. That's it. God speaks to the serpent in Genesis 3 and says these amazing prophetic words. He says this to the serpent. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies. He's speaking prophetically. 
as will your offspring and hers. He said, you, Satan, will strike his heel, but he will crush your heads. Here's what he was talking about. The he of Genesis 3.15 is the Lamb of God. He's speaking about what is and who is to come. That's why the Bible had to speak about the Lamb, Jesus, because of the intensity of the beast from Genesis to Revelation. He had to say, let me tell you who you have on your side. The only person that can defeat the beast is the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God. And from Genesis to Revelation, here's the good news. Let me tell you who's going to crush the serpent's head. Let me tell you about that Lamb. I was reading this before, and this is what it says. In Genesis, let me tell you about the Lamb. He is the seed of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover Lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and the fire by nights. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. And in Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. Oh, but God said, that's not enough. I got to keep going on. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. And in Kings and Chronicles, he is our soon coming and reigning king. And God goes, let me give it to you through the historical books and the Pentateuch. But God goes, that's not enough for them. They need, this beast is strong, so let's keep going. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of things that are broken. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. And in Job, he is the redeemer. For Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, our wisdom. Song of Solomon, the bridegroom. Isaiah, the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the righteous branch. Lamentations, the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Hallelujah. Only the lamb can defeat the beast. But God goes, that's still not enough. Because in Hosea, he's the faithful husband to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. Obadiah, mighty to save. Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he's the God, the evangelist. In Zephaniah, our savior. Savior in Haggai, the restorer. Zechariah, a fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And God goes, those 39 books is not enough. I've got to give it 27 more times. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. Mark, he's the wonder-working miracle worker. Luke, he's the son of man. John, he's the son of God. And in Acts, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. But he's still not done because we have to hit all 27 books in the New Testament. In Romans, he's our justifier. First and second Corinthians, our sanctifier. Galatians, our redeemer from the curse. Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. In the book of Philippians, he is the God who supplies all of our needs. And in Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. In first and second Thessalonians, he's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. And in Philemon. He is a friend that sticks closer, hallelujah, than any brother. 
Oh, hallelujah, we're still not done. Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the great physician. First and second Peter, our chief shepherd, who soon shall appear. In first, second, and third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord that's coming. And in Revelation, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. It is only he that can go ahead and take care of that lamb. Hallelujah. He's the father to the orphan, a husband to the widow, the bright and morning star. He is the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. He's the honey in the rock, the brightness of God's glory, the pearl of great price. He's the rock in a weary land. He is Jesus, the rod and the staff, my savior, my companion, my king. I'm here to tell you the only match for the beast is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. God says that beast crouches at a door, but you have a lamb. You have a lamb, the lamb of God. You can't defeat him with a promise. You can't defeat him with a program. You can't defeat him with a mosque or religion. You can't defeat him with a cathedral. Look at me, folks. You can't defeat him with this church. TSC can't defeat him. Only the lamb can defeat the beast. Only the lamb can defeat the beast. Today, let the Lamb of God come in. Charles Finney, the great evangelist, said sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. Why? If it's forgiven sin, it costs God his only son. And if it's unforgiven, it costs the sinner an eternity in hell. That's why it's the, that's why it's the most expensive thing in the universe. Forgiven sin, Jesus dies. Unforgiven sin, it's an eternity in hell. That's why salvation and freedom start with these words. Jesus, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. When Cain has his problem with God, remember, it's a story of two offerings. One gives the best, and one gives his opinion. One gives the best. Here's the first and the best that I got, God. But Cain gives his opinion. This is what you get. Can I just tell you how the lamb enters into our life? It's not by giving him Sundays. He wants every day. It's not by giving him your money. He owns it all anyway. It's not giving him your do's and don'ts. That's you taking the Cain aspect and going, this is what religion is. That's what Cain was doing. Do you understand? Cain was defining and giving the world religion, saying, it's my opinion what we'll give to God. Abel was going, here's the first and here's the best. Cain was going, I'm going to give you what I think I should give you. And listen to me. The thing that God wants is our lives. He did not die on the cross to make you religious. 
He doesn't want your Sundays for 90 minutes. He wants every day. He didn't die on the cross to get you to church. He died on the cross to bring you home to heaven. And today is that day. Today is that day. So when Jesus says these words in John 3, that no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Look at me. Here it is. If anybody knows the directions to his own home, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Not you. You can't come up with your own directions. You've never been to heaven. If Unless you have died, rose again, then I'm really not interested in what you think your GPS is to heaven. I'm just going to tell you. Just, just let me know. If you have a resurrection on your resume, come talk to me after service. You can pastor Times Square Church. Here's the, here's the issue. Jesus said, you can't go to heaven unless you're born again. That's the GPS. He didn't say, listen, because there are people here that are going like this. How do you get to heaven? Well, I was baptized. That's good, but that's not what Jesus said. How do you get to heaven? I took communion, or I was confirmed, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Catholic, or I'm Protestant, or I'm a Muslim, or I'm Jewish, or, or whatever. How do you get to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. I haven't hurt anybody. All those are great things, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? Jesus was saying, just as you had a first birth physically, many of you in a hospital, you need a second birth spiritually. The first time is physical. The second time is spiritual. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's as simple as ABC. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's not that I made a mistake. I'm a sinner. I have a diagnosis, and it's called sin. I can't fix it with a priest, a pastor, a promise, a program. I need help to fix it. That's B, believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to begin to annihilate that beast. The beast can't be tamed. The beast has to die. And that's when the son of God comes in and takes care of that. How is it? It's simply believing. Believing that God sent his son to become my burden bearer, my sin bearer. Jesus died the death I was supposed to die. Lived the life that I couldn't live. And gave me a reward I don't deserve, which is heaven and forgiveness. And today that can happen to you. But it's C, confessing him. This is the big one. To confess Jesus as Lord is to say, you're the boss now. That's what that word means. You're in charge now. You don't just get Sundays for 90 minutes. And if the choir goes along or Pastor Tim goes along, you don't just get two hours. You get every day. You, own, you are the boss now. That's what it is. When Jesus becomes Lord, it means he has veto power. He can veto anything. You're in charge now. You cannot defeat the beast on your own. That sin is crouching at the door. I need the Lamb of God in my life. I want everyone, both watching online and press, just close your eyes and bow your head for just one moment. It's the most important question you could ever be asked today. It's the most important question. Have you been born again? It's the most important question. As you're sitting here today or standing with us today, this is what changes everything. This is inviting the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. The Lamb can only defeat the beast. The Lamb can only defeat the beast. None of us have that power. And this is that moment as I think about that young man that his whole life and a whole community was turned around when he walked into a theater and opened fire. But God was giving him an exit ramp to go 
you can turn today. I don't care whether you are a CEO of a corporation or you're a single mom just trying to make ends meet. All of us are level at the cross. All of us are sinners. You could be sitting in this place and you can be on Broadway as an actor. You could be an athlete and you could be just trying to make ends meet. And I'm here to tell you, all of us need to be born again. Today that can happen. It can happen online and it can happen in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today, I want to pray a born again prayer. I want to help you start your journey today. Let the Lamb of God come in and change you from the inside out. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you this most important question. Before I pray, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be part of it. Would you include me? Would you include me in that born again prayer? I don't want to leave this place without knowing Jesus, the Lamb of God, is alive in my heart today. I want to be born again. I want Jesus in my life. If that's you, without any hesitation, every head bowed, every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you say, put me in that prayer today, without any hesitation, would you hold up your hand as high as you can? Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand starting from my left. Keep them up. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Keep them up. Eight, nine, ten. Got you back there. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. In the balcony. Keep them up. Twenty-six. I want to make sure. Twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five. You could put your hands down today. Thank God for every one of you that raised your hands. If you're watching online, I want you just to type the word decided in the chat line. Type the word decided right now, saying, I want the Lamb of God. I want the Lamb of God. Just type it right now from all over the world. You just type the word decided. Now, here's what I want to do. This is going to be, the, this is going to be a tough, this may be tough for some of you in the balcony. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray. I want to lead you in the most important prayer that you can ever pray in your life because this doesn't just affect your today, it affects your eternity. And if you're in that balcony, you're on this main floor and say, Pastor Tim, I raise my hand. I want God to change me from the inside out. I want you to take one more step. Would you just come down here and meet me at this altar right now? Quickly, just get out of your seat. Walk down here today. I want to pray with you. Come on. You come down. Make your way down today. Come on. Come on down. Come on down, my friend. <laughs> Hallelujah. You come on down. Quickly. Come on down. On the balcony. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you quickly. You come down, every one of you that raised their hands. And if you didn't raise your hand and say, I should be here, then you make your way down here right now. Just before we close, just before we end this service, we're going to begin to pray and we're going to close with a song and a prayer. But I want everybody, just if that's you and you raise your hand, quickly get out of your seat and come down right now. Come right up here because I want to pray with you. I want to pray with all of you. There's fathers and sons, there's moms and there's friends. Balcony, we'll wait for you to make your way down, but today is going to be day. Let them crystal right behind you. Let them come in. Let that right there in that walker. Come on, family. Come on, that whole family. You come on up right now. We're going to believe for God to do that right now. Come on, you can put your hands together. God's going to do something very special. Even those in the balcony that are coming down. Come on, I see some of the balcony people coming down. This is going to be a special day for many of you. Hallelujah. 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 The lamb defeats the beast. The lamb defeats the beast. The lamb defeats the beast. Hallelujah. More from the balcony. Come on, you come. We're going to wait for you. We'll wait for you.
Hey, can we do this before we leave today? We're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. We'll sing one song, and then we're gonna, I wanna pray for my friends here from the Bahamas. I wanna pray for their nation. I wanna pray for your nation, Ambassador. I wanna pray for your nation, Consul General. I wanna pray that God does something special. Here's what I want you to do. Can we all pray this together? Come on, out loud. I want all of us to say this together. Say this with me out loud online. You say it in your home, in your car, if you're waiting at an airport or in a subway. Come on, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Oh, we like to say this part loud now. Here it goes. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.